Hey, what's up, gang? Uh, it's me, Mishka. I am back uh, in your ear. What's going on? Um, oh, I had this weird thing where I, uh, so I did the this stupid 30-day uh, workout leading up to my birthday because I've had all this anxiety about being both fat and skinny and old and out of shape. So I worked out hard uh, every day leading up to my birthday. And man, I got that one picture where I looked awesome. And then I stopped working out and kept eating the way I was working when I was working out. And I had this thing where I was like, man, I feel like the Arizona, the dry Arizona air is finally getting to me um, because like my skin feels real tight. Like, do I need to start using lotion for the first time in my life? Nope. Just gained 12 pounds. (laughs) The the reason my skin was felt tight is because I was getting fat. Uh, so I'm back on it now. Uh, my buddy Ryan McKee has successfully moved into the little treehouse in my backyard. We had our first uh, real uh, depressing um, workout this morning. It's funny because it's like uh, trying to get back into shape at this age feels a little bit like Rodney Dangerfield uh, in Back to School. Um, it, it's less uh, less rocky and more Rodney. So this is our... Uh, Rocky Dangerfield workout program. Well, we're trying to go with 30 days. The, what did we do today? 100 V-ups, twists, push-ups, deadlifts, and squats, and ran three miles. Oh, my God. This is going to be a long month. Anyway, um, what else? What else? Uh, let's get right into it. The My guest today, uh, David Blum, man... This guy has changed my life so fucking much. The in 2008, when I was just a druggie uh, working some uh, dumb construction gig, there was a call uh, for new writers at the New York Press, which was uh, one of the free weekly papers there. And I picked it up on the on my subway ride on the way into work, and I was like, "The well." you always wanted to be a writer and not just a dumb construction worker do or die motherfucker. Like just write a thing and send it in. And I submitted something and I heard back from them that day and they were less interested in the piece that I had submitted, but I had included a link to my MySpace profile where I had blogged about this drug that I was doing Opana. And Dave said, uh, Dave said, you know, why don't you write something about uh, about Opana, this painkiller that you've been doing? And so I, when I got home from work that day, I made myself another cup of coffee, and I just sat down at my computer, and I just wrote the story, the first word, then the next word, until I got to the last word. And then I sent it in, and then the next week, it was the cover story in the New York Press, and they had paid a painter to illustrate my drug-addled hallucinations, and suddenly I was a writer. And I wrote a bunch of pieces for Dave when uh, when he was at New York Press. And, it, I mean, it. I have a bunch of friends who are, like, on the cusp of publishing their first books. And w- what I say to them is something that my agent said to me, which is don't count on this book to change your life, which is great advice for a new author. Publishing that first article with Dave Blum changed my fucking life. It it didn't just change my life. It changed who I was. Like I looked at myself in the mirror differently. I was like, 
I've been anointed by an editor at a newspaper. I am a writer. And I'm sure, I'm sure it made me real hard to deal with for my friends and bandmates for a while. Um, and uh, so I was a writer for a moment. And then Dave left the New York Press. And I bottomed out and got sober. And then one day he hit me up for, you know, to go out to breakfast. And he was like, I'm doing this. I've gone over to work at Amazon and they're doing this new thing, publishing exclusive content for the, uh, for the Kindle. You should really do this. You know, the, you can make a lot of money. And I was like, Dave, the number one, there's, I don't know anyone who owns a Kindle. There's no way that this is going to fucking take off. And there's so much free content out there. Why would people buy stuff? And if they're going to buy something, why would they buy something from me? And also I'm sober now, so I don't have any more stories. And, and he was like, you don't have one story left. And, and I said, well, there is that one time that I got shipwrecked. And he literally smacked himself in the forehead and was like, Mishka, you asshole. That's the story. And he was right. And it was. And that was the first uh, story that I published with Kindle Singles. And uh, it went to number uh, went to number one and then dropped off and then went back to number one. And my first royalty check was like between six and seven thousand dollars, which was fucking amazing. And I quit my job. Uh, I was working at Beauty Bar at that point. The next check that I got was more. Uh, it was another, you know, $7,000 plus, which was inc- an incredible amount of money to me at the time. I mean, it's still a good amount of money. The If you have an extra $7,000, please send it to me. Um, and then that set me up to write The Long Run, which I, I got a book deal on the back of that, and I still get tiny royalty checks from that story. Um, it's probably sold over a hundred thousand copies at this point, been translated into, I think five different languages. And, you know, so I, I published seven Kindle singles, six of them under Dave. And then I went on to do, uh, cold Turkey, uh, for audible. And, it just goes to show, you know, that, it, you know, I, trying to find success as a writer, it's sort of like trying to make a baby. The, um, you, you kind of just have to get one past the goalie, you know, and I got, I got my writing to Dave. He recognized that there, that there was merit to the piece itself and to my writing and to me as a person, as a writer that I had a contribution to make. And then he's encouraged me every step of the way. And I, so I really owe my entire writing career to Dave Blum. And it's fucking heartbreaking that he's no longer at Audible. Because now what will I do? But um, this conversation has been a long time coming. I mean, he, Dave really is, he's been a tremendous friend to me over the years. He's been a, an incredible mentor and he's really part of my origin story. You know, I, I would not be who I am without him. So, uh, yeah, please enjoy this conversation with uh, my editor, my mentor, my tormentor, my old friend, Dave Blum. Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are 
arguably more talented than him. Is your premise that no one is listening? Is that what you think? No, I, I do have listeners. The, um, you know, I mean, the, the stock joke is, well, you know, my mom's listening, but she's not listening, the, but other people are. Cause I, every once I in a while I, uh, I flail around on air and say, nobody's listening to this. And then I get messages from people. Being I like, think you have the right. Uh, I, I said this before, you know, I really think you have the right to voice and kind of, I don't know. What's the word gestalt. Is that the, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'm getting better at it. A uh, a friend of mine, Susie Italiano, uh, sent me a cross stitch that she made, which was just, uh, it was just the comma um, three times in all caps in three different colors. And she said, that's what you say on the podcast. Oh, everybody has their tick, yeah. Just before you say something. Marin has brilliant. it. Yeah. The... Many of them, actually. He gets away with murder. I mean... I think it's actually gotten to be okay to have some, very few people can, you're better than most. I would put you in the top 20%. Oh, I'm saying, you know, all the time. And I would put myself way below you. And <laughs> it's really hard. There's, uh, you know, who's like really at like a hundred percent successful. It's really weird. But uh, if you ever stumble on a podcast interview with the actor, Edward Norton, that guy happens to have perfect fiction. Perfect. I feel like that. And I know people who know him and say that's like his thing. Everyone knows that about him. They're friends with him. I feel like that's the evolution of chat GPT that, you know, the way yes. that we know, we'll know that we're talking to uh, a, a, a droid is they won't say oh, that's a good um, or like or you know we should okay, we should have record we're hitting on some really big heavy ideas here we should get this recorded for posterity the, <laughs> i mean I, that was too good we need it are, are we recording now yeah yeah we're rolling we, we've been rolling oh. for hours dave <laughs> i you know i I was thinking the other day about the podcast. I think too much about it. And because I, you know, there's always that eternal question of do I continue or do I not continue? And when I was just out in the yard working on the car today and I had a thought that um, Colin is my friend who produces the podcast. And I, I had a thought that like, if Colin ever leaves me, I'll, I'll quit. I'll be fucking done because he does all the, the admin, you know, minimal editing, you know, preparing the stuff for the air basically. Um, but I don't, I don't journal and I don't really go out to lunch with friends anymore. Cause I'm, I live in the fucking middle of the desert and, um, yeah. it's a, it's a desert of friendship as well. And, uh, so this is sort of my social life. And also this is my sort of journal of my life, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's a great use of it. And that's, uh, well, I mentioned Marin. I mean, he really unravels on his podcast constantly. Um, and it's actually, I went from not listening to the opening stretch of the Marin podcast to becoming only interested in the opening stretch. And then uh, there are times that I listened to that and turned it off. You know, the part where he rambles on about like I had a colonoscopy last week and suddenly I've confronted the whole, you know, deep, dark infinity of the soul. Yeah, like that's those rambles, which I love, and I think that's what you are talking about. What you want to do, what you do, 
Marin is actually, I, I, I'm not a big listener of his podcast. I've listened to some of them. I listened to the one with Slash, of course, and like Keith Richards. The, mm-hmm. But he, I would definitely count him as sort of one of maybe four people who has had the largest influence on my live performance because mm-hmm. in, I think it was 2005 or 2000, maybe 2007, you know, before I even got sober, I went to go see him uh, perform in the basement of the UCB theater with my friend, Ryan McKee, who's been on the podcast. And, yes. um, and Marin was fucking going through it. You know, it was not comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I went up to him afterwards and I said, you know, it feels, <laughs> feels like the wrong thing to say. I enjoyed that but I found it really useful. And, you know, he shook my hand and said, I'll accept that. And, uh, but you know, he was just, he was like, he was talking through his problems out loud. And I mean, when I record the headers for these podcasts, I used to just try to sort of get in and get out and say who the, who the guest is and what my connection is to them and then get out. But lately I've been trying to let my guard down and sort of just, you know, again, talk about my colonoscopy or whatever the fuck. And what about my colonoscopy? You want to get to talk about that? I mean, that that's what we're podcasting about today, right? Okay. That's, I, I was told by your producer that I was here to talk about my colonoscopy, which was very successful. That's, that's, I, it's actually on my fucking job list to, to call my doctor to get a colonoscopy because you should. The, You're what, four, uh, 46, four, 46. 46. Yeah. 46. It's, yeah, such a the I am this I am when I'm 46. That was the inverse. That was the Beatles' original idea, and then they flipped it. I am I am President Biden, uh, years old. He's yeah. uh, he's number 46. Wow. Yeah, that, that's oh, how I feel. Oh. Too. Just a just a doddering old man propped up by the institution. <laughs> but you know, he grew an inch. Did you see that in the his medical report that the doctor released on him last week? It reported that. He had grown an inch in since his physical in 2022. That's insane. very unusual. So highly unusual for most, almost the entire rest of the human race wow. loses height. Does he just hang upside down like a bat? I think they're, you know, I actually believe this is just some, they've manipulated the data or, you know, this is just some ruse to make him look more presidential. Yeah, I, I I don't think he's the first or the only man who has added an inch to his measurements, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. I know exactly what you mean. Anyway, why am I here? How may I help? The, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's rewind. Let's start all the way at the beginning. That um, I'll catch people up on on this a little bit in the intro. But the um, you know, I think people know that my connection to you is that. Uh, you're the reason I'm still here. You're the reason I have a podcast. You're probably the reason I'm alive. You're the reason I'm successful. You're the reason I made it as a writer. Um, A lot of this rides on your shoulders. Um, You were, you were the first editor to, you know, to publish my writing in. um, I mean, I guess I, I published something when I was like 21, but when I was, but 10 years later, when I was 31, I submitted that unhinged, uh, solicitation to the new york press and you responded and you let me write a cover story about drugs <laughs> that's correct i uh you know i often i think you 
know this, but you know, often took that letter that you email that you sent. And I would, you know, I would teach at Columbia Journalism School and I would where people were always really interested in understanding how do you get an editor's attention? You know, what kind of cover letters should you write? And I would include that and I would give them like 10, but I would block out names and stuff. But I would just say, tell me which ones you think. Like I would maybe say like four of them are pitches that I've ultimately ended up taking, but six aren't. See if you can guess the four. Never, ever, ever in all the years I did it, did anyone ever guess that the email that you wrote was one that led to a successful writing <laughs> career. <laughs> no one. I don't have it in front of me, but I can't re remember what it was about it, but it just made me, actually what it did was it made me look at your website. And uh -huh. on your website, had you posted, I believe, an essay related to your experience on... Um, if memory serves, I think the website that you're thinking of is that there was a link to my fucking MySpace account, which was that what it was? Okay, that's a significant, significant, you know, cultural signpost. Yes, to, if anyone's ever heard of MySpace, uh, yeah. that was a wonderful way station, particularly for musicians. And didn't you? Um, but so you had published something about having those dreams on that drug. Yeah, I I had that you had. And I then, that's what I responded to. That's what I said I was interested in you writing about. Yeah, I, I had written a blog post about Opana. Opana. And, the, yeah, and that cool. was, um, and I think that was what you found. And then, yes. and yeah, yeah, and then here we are. <laughs> well, then I got in touch and I said, how about you write a longer version of this? You know, expand it by like 50%. And you in like two days or something, and you said I can do that. And I said, okay, if you, I said if you can do that, I'll make it the cover story of the issue. It was the cover story, right? Yeah, it was the yeah. uh, it was the cover story, and um, oh my god, I found it. I, I found I found the email, Dave. Oh, you did. Uh, yeah, when, it wasn't that long ago. It was it was in the Gmail era. Uh, two thousand eight, February twenty sixth. So wow. uh, almost our uh, 13 year yeah, anniversary. Jesus. 13, 15. 15. Jesus Christ. 15 the, year. I said, my name is Mishka Shabali, and I'm submitting some writing for New York Press. I've attached some previously published writing samples and a first person narrative for your consideration. Hmm. My backstory I moved to New York in 98, and I've been dodging success ever since. I got my master's in fiction from Columbia in 2003 promptly realized I was more interested in spending time in bars. <laughs> I've played in a couple of bands of note, but most of them are just footnotes to footnotes. <laughs> I'm really overselling it here, aren't I? You know, when I look at it in hindsight, really, this is so badly written. Now go on. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, the flip side of that is I got a, uh, I had somebody write me a pitch letter for their, for a novel. I was like, man, if you're sending it to me, you're really fucked. But I read the pitch letter and I was like, it's like note for note. This is this is a phenomenal pitch letter. Like, this is exactly how you write a pitch letter. It sort of like, you know, appealed to my vanity where he said, you know, oh, how much I, I love your stuff and, you know, admire you as, a, as an artist and a uh -huh. uh, writer and the and then, you know, a, a synopsis of the book and stuff. And I got to the end and I was like, that is a perfect pitch letter. And this guy will never make it because I feel like there's an inverse relationship between the quality of the pitch letter 
and the and the writing. I don't know. I, I usually find them similar. You know, you did have those links. Obviously, this is audio. We can't share the links, but um, to your website and to that blog. And somehow or another, I read writing that you had done on a very specific topic that I thought was of great interest. I'd always, I'd been at the Village Voice before that, and I'd always wanted to do a story about a new drug because I thought, man, people are always interested in new illegal substances that expand the mind. Yeah. And uh, that's what this was. So uh, you did that. You wrote the longer piece. And, uh, you know, but then I met you and I realized that you were this extremely large uh, alcoholic. <laughs> 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 um, and that right around the time of the evening when you were get, just getting rolling, I was like falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but we, stayed in touch um yeah despite the, and then you did eventually bottom out or whatever you whatever the language is to describe what led you to stop drinking. well it's all been chronicled so if anyone wants to know what happened next they just need to <laughs> download the long run exactly. and other stories by mishka shubali with an introduction by jeff bezos which i <laughs> think still to this moment and beyond was really one of the most remarkable moments in the whole saga it's it's fucking insane and you the, actually engaged the richest man on the planet briefly was the richest he'll be again the richest man on the planet. Am, amateur astronaut and billionaire jeff Bezos. no really he was totally into you and the whole i mean just to explain what happened for anyone who might actually be listening uh, uh is that um uh, I would been working at Amazon for about two, almost two years. And you, your piece came out maybe a little under two years, but your piece had come out and become very successful. But more importantly, it got you interviewed by the Huffington post. And, yeah. um, so, so the link to the interview somehow landed in some summary of Amazon mentions in Jeff Bezos's inbox, you know, people always get those press summary mm -hmm. so he read it and you know so he writes me unsolicited an email saying how proud it made him that i was publishing writers like you <laughs> basically in gimbal singles the, and, the, and the, your narrative of you know being this ne'er-do-well guy who kind of turns around and suddenly makes because this you know the long run was a big 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 hit yeah, it's. I, I mean, it's over a hundred thousand copies sold at this point, which is crazy. And you know, and it, it could have been and even bigger. I mean, I think there's, you know, it's just such a. Uh, it was a very powerful uh, story of your the intersection of these two extreme situations in your life: alcoholism and ultra marathon running. I I, rem um, I remember too, you know, when I was writing that piece. I mean, remember, I I remember meeting up for you at lunch, or meeting meeting up with you for lunch, and I hadn't understood that it was going to be like a nice restaurant. I think I showed up in like a sleeveless like CBG right. shirt and like cutoffs, like sweaty, and the and then I pitched you four or five different ideas, all brilliant, of course. And you were like, yeah, none of these really do anything for me. What you really need to do is write a story about how you went from being this 
you know, fucked up, drunk, druggy to being this crazy ultra runner. And, right. and I, I even and, gave you the title at that time. Yep. At that lunch. And, and I really didn't want to do it. But um, one of the it, things yeah. that kept me, huh. that kept me going, that kept me doing, well, I mean, I, I feel like I sort of tried that first night when I went home, I sort of sat down on the computer and tried to get into it. And then I sent you something and you said, go, go and get a bigger shovel, <laughs> something cryptic. And, but it made sense to me. And then I just, um, and Dave, you know, when I was writing that piece, you were the reader that I had in my mind and the, and I tried to write it just like I was writing like a private journal entry that one other person would read. And then, yeah. and then I sent it to you and then you sent it out into the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've really come to believe, uh, you know, I was you know, a writer for many years, uh, and had multiple different editors, um, some better than others, but I have come to believe as an editor now that I've been one for a long time, that, um, there's a very necessary and important, um, you know, collaboration component to it. Um, yeah. it isn't, you know, employer employee It isn't uh, equal partner. It isn't, it's a lot, it's, there's a lot of things that it isn't, and it's unclear what it is. So you actually have to figure it out. But I thought we did a very good job of balancing each other out, but you writing for a person who, you know, I, just to sort of try to extrapolate the broader lesson of that moment that you're right. Having that person to write for. It's one of the things that has become a staple of what I teach in my writing workshop at Yale, which is while you're writing, conceptualize your ideal, ideal reader and write to them, write to that person, you know, write to a yeah. specific person. And in, in my instance with you, it was the, you know, I knew that, uh, that you understood me and that you believed in me, but also that you weren't going to let me get away with anything. You know, there were instances where I turned something in where you were like, come on, man, this isn't, this isn't really, this isn't really how you feel, or this isn't really um, mm -hmm. what happened, or the, you're not explaining it enough, or you're trying to conceal something, or, or just you're better than this, you know, and um, yeah, so I worked, I really worked hard to internalize that. Uh, as a writer and it's one of the things that i share with my students uh, you know is to have uh, even if it's not a specific person the um to imagine that person and write to them yeah i agree uh totally i mean and i think it's also important to realize that you're gonna oh you're never gonna know when that magical idea thing that breakthrough moment happens so you do have to you know by listening to people and getting their feedback and processing it um over a period of time really helps um you know i there have been many situations where i've edited people i don't think you were ever this person maybe once or twice you were pretty fast but you know somebody would i'd give them the notes my notes and then they the next day they would say you know what i just did it i just like stayed up all night and here it is and i'm like no this i literally can't even read it because like that's not possible it, it, the whole point of the exercise was for you to like let it you know simmer on the stove for a few days and stir yeah. it up and throw a couple of spices in it and see what you think it's not like just i did it <laughs> I, I i think I, I feel like i was good at that sort of meditation or that you know that sort of uh 
three three to ten days worth of minutes yes. you know it's gotta be. because the i would always walk away with hurt feelings when i got an email from you that like it wasn't right yeah. or it needed, needed more work or too long or too That's, short there should be these are you know what some i once had a student say something to me that was just so powerful and profound that changed my entire way of thinking forever she i i i said to the i'd said to the class as a whole um, you kind of remember when you're giving feedback to these people, um, to each other, I was explaining workshopping, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's not personal, you know, it's not personal. It's just about the work. And anyway, actually she said this immediately. I take it back to the whole class as a criticism, what I had just said, she said, I actually disagree with you. I think if you are talking about what somebody has written down on paper or wherever, that's personal because it's from them. They wrote it. They obviously have a sentiment and feeling and heart and mind and all this behind it. So if you criticize it, you're criticizing that person. You can't really like separate it. So I have come to realize in collaborating, in editing, in everything, remembering that specific thing that you're always, you never know. It's it's like in The Godfather, you know, where he says, you know, it's it's not it's not personal, it's business, you know, yeah. and and it's a fucking lie because exactly. every, everything's personal. everything is also in The Godfather. Yeah, it's just what I mean. It really, if you really want to know how to write, live, do a podcast, just I don't know, disappear a body. <laughs> yeah, just watch that, you know, over and over again, and then watch you know, the combined versions and just become obsessed with the Godfather and you could do a whole lot worse. Yeah. I'm um, going to watch that again tonight. It really, I just happened to watch Godfather one <clears throat> last week with uh, my daughter and her best friend. And it was really fun. Yeah. The best friend had never seen it. Oh, that's the best when you can introduce something um, yeah. that somebody sort of missed. Oh you know, my to God. Yeah. I, I, like a thing like that. I'd never watched uh, Apocalypse Now um and then i watched that i don't know five years ago and was like holy fuck because i love Joseph. yeah that's a, yeah um, great great movie i mean i haven't seen it in a while and then you get old enough and you start revisiting them and you have the same you go oh wow yeah right oh my god yeah, <laughs> yeah i remember when i uh you know loved that the last time yeah. <laughs> and then the time before that and yeah. uh you know anyway it really is a uh, I hope that continues and our whatever our new world order becomes. What's I mean, what's interesting about us having this this conversation now is one of the things that has paved the way for us to finally be able to sort of sit down and talk about all this is that uh, is that you quit, you fucking moved on, you left Audible. And the, oh, did I mention by the way? This is a, by the way, this is Dave's chat bot talking. This is <laughs> the. He actually yeah. couldn't make it today. So whatever this <laughs> voice says, you're just uh, chatting it in. The yeah. Um, no, the I mean, my agent uh, Bird and I were just lamenting that the other day, and 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 that's you know, I mean, that's sort of tying into what I was saying about finding your ideal reader and finding an editor who gets you and um, an editor that's be, that's able to do because an editor's job is different for every writer that they're working with, and that you were sort of able to do that for me better than anyone else I've ever worked with. And so it's a huge fucking loss that you're not, um, no. that you're not going to be in, at audible anymore. Well, thank you. Um, 
I um, consider myself extremely lucky um, to have had the opportunity to build two whole things. Yeah, you know, single singles and audible originals, both of which live on uh, and are, will continue to grow. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody has all these different things that happen in their lives, and, and going to work at Amazon was really a glorious one for me, which it sounds weird to say because, you know, Amazon. <laughs> um, but, uh, hey, you know, everybody makes their own associations. I've been buying from them forever, so there's that. So yeah. I'd be a hypocrite if I said they were, you know, bad company they're an amazing company i mean you know you get you all your shit whenever you want it uh, yeah. as soon as you need it uh you know for what it's a really low price uh amazon prime brilliant i think jeff bezos is a freaking genius yeah. uh um, how many people have one good idea he had like seven ridiculous number of well, good ideas and also the foreword that he wrote for my collection is but like, not even yeah that's the, idea, the eighth wonder of the world it was yeah, uh, it was. It was it, no, and I actually was telling these people uh, yesterday when I was meant, telling this whole story uh, about how we knew each other that uh, I don't even know if you remember this, but he actually asked uh, me and Don Katz, who uh, I shouldn't really mention names, but whatever, Don, who's my, you know, who's the founder of Audible, CEO of Audible, and my friend of many, many years, um, to draft something for him uh-huh so we, do you remember this part i think you knew this no anyway, I, he, I no i don't i don't know that i've ever heard this we drafted thing. an entire thing over a span of like three or four days back and forth volleying paragraphs you know blah blah all this stuff and then we sent it and bezos goes okay you know what i think i'm just going to write this myself thank you man i <laughs> and he just literally chucked our our draft I I really want to read what you were writing because it sounds like it I would wonder be if like, I have it know, somewhere. Mishka Shibali is very large and also very alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, I think he might have taken some facts from it, you know, something like that. But basically, uh -huh. he, he chucked it, you know, and really wrote, you know, he, and he wrote this really sweet uh, thing, you know, for your listeners who all obviously already love you. Um, you know, you did this extremely uh, charming and sweet gesture of sending him a, a what was it a sharks too or something i i sent him i sent him my drug box you know the box that's that right. he used to hold the opana and stuff which the yeah if his, right. house, if his house is ever raided and they test like the the lining in that Ooh. um but uh, i sent him that and i sent him a donkey's tooth from when that's i got right. uh shipwrecked that's right and that was due to what corresponds was that with him agreeing to do the forward yeah, the, yeah, I, I just, you know, he yeah. said he would do he it. he said, I'll and, do it. And I wanted to send him a little thank you. So that's what I said. So you sent him that. And so he it used was, that. So that was his lead for this forward. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. It's really wonderful reading. It's very which, short. Which but also, he just kicked yeah. it off with the, with the tooth. Or he ends it with the tooth. Or I forget. It's, he ends with it, I think, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway, it was this beautifully constructed little narrative about you and him and what it means to live and he really just waxed eloquent and you know honestly to date it is literally the only time jeff bezos ever waxed eloquent in writing about anything other than amazon 
Yeah, I mean, he, he fucking nailed it. I, I remember getting that in my inbox. Crazy. And, and he was sort of like, is this okay? <laughs> like, it's crazy. I was like, bro. I mean, I don't know that anyone I, even really understood. I mean, the people I told the story to yesterday, because they all work at Audible, you know, understood it. But, you know, the vast majority of people, even who understand who Jeff Bezos is, you know, or even to understand who you are, but to somehow imagine the two of you intersecting multiple times in this life, one life. <laughs> Well, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine. And I'm going to also add myself to that list, the fact that I would interact, and the, let alone the fact, I mean, I don't want to, you know, sound whatever, but that he was, you know, part of this was him being praising of my work, you know, like to have yeah. that was, I, I mean, I honestly, really, of all the things that happened over the 12 plus years, uh, work well, I mean, both companies, I, that was a, really a high point, you know, getting that. What's wild yeah, about that? About that, about that fucking uh god that the forward from him is bro i sent him a crusty old tooth in a fucking little wooden box i know i can't believe i didn't end up on a fucking watch list for that like that's just, some unhinged like and the fact that you were able to even you know it, it's kind of more heartwarming that in this day and age you know you can somehow manage to connect with somebody so sort of distantly removed uh yeah. simply i mean there were a lot of things that happened had to happen you know there had to be an internet and there had to be blogs and there had to be you know kindles and whatnot and but somehow through all of that it connected you to the ceo of amazon in a, I mean, quite a remarkable way also you know when i tell this story it's always like oh me running and having this crazy idea but it was when you and i went on that run around central park and you were like you That's know right. what you should do is yes, you right. should write, write right to jeff bezos and and i was like dave that's and ridiculous. then you called I, me like eight months later and said guess who called and i was like no, guess who wrote and i was like I, who i couldn't possibly say who's your idea don't you remember this i had no idea that you'd actually done it and well, then suddenly, I, like six months later, right? It was something like that. He wrote back some crazy. Yeah, well, I, time. I, I think it's no, no, no. It's it, I mean, the or crazy, the crazy gap was that, yeah, I waited and then I went for a run. And in that sort of post run elation, I emailed him and I was like, hey, I, who knows? Because you gave me his email address. You were like, oh, it's just Jeff at Amazon.com. Yes, widely like, known. Fucking yeah. ridiculous. So I emailed him after I came in from a run. I was like, I just I sent that out into the ether and like, I'm never going to hear back. And it's it's whatever I had to do it. Now it's done. And he wrote yeah. back in less than an hour. Like my my fucking mom doesn't respond to emails that quickly. Like who responds yeah. to emails that quickly? He wrote back. No, I his, know. his first I words were like, I, Hey, big fan. <laughs> I will say that in my wanderings in the professional wilderness, I mean, this extends to everything, not just corporations, but magazines and newspapers, the length of time that people take to respond is often in inverse proportion to their importance. Um, but they right. often use the interval of time to try to artificially inflate their importance. But actually, all the great people I have ever interacted with are early to meetings. I did an interview with Anthony Bourdain when I was at Amazon. Mm -hmm. He was he had been I got to the restaurant 15 minutes early. He was already sitting at the bar waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Wow, that's nuts. He's and I've since learned that he was early everywhere he ever went. He was just thought it was an act of respect. So it's interesting. That to me was a life lesson. He was a 
Anthony Bourdain was like a whole shit pile of life lessons. He was like the people like Bukowski, those types of people that just everything they said and did was just, you know, oh, I should write that down and remember it ever forever and live that way. I, I met him once when Kitchen Confidential uh, first came out and I was working as a, an engineer at a radio station. And uh, I like went down and met him downstairs and then rode up in the elevator with him. And he smelled like uh, like a wet, a wet ashtray. And well, yes, uh, he was, and he was, and he was, he was, inc- he was just incredibly kind. And he, and we had a lot of guests come in uh, to that studio and they all sort of treated me like the help. And he was sort of, and he was like, how's your day going? You know, he was one of the, he just, he treated me like a human being. And yes, I, you know, I, I remembered him, you know, for that. He was close friends with Mark Lanigan. Mark, you know, um, yes, I know that the Lan- Lanigan's memoir is dedicated to Tony, which is no, I know, I knew they were close. Yeah, uh, I mean, I had very little to do with him, but he did really help me out too in my life, um, in a way that was really special. And he didn't have to. Um, it's just an extraordinary human being. Really, always makes me sad. Um, but do you want, uh, do you want to tell that story? Which story? The the of uh, Bourdain what he did for me. Yeah. Oh, I just you know my first book uh, that I published in 1992 uh, was about the life of a restaurant from its birth till death, and it was called Flash in the Pan. And uh, you know it's it sold about three copies because it happened to come out in the middle of a recession, uh-huh. uh, so nobody was going out to eat. No notion of luxury restaurant i mean this restaurant just went in the toilet and it was it was a wonderful story of two roguish characters and it was really super fun and i had a fabulous time it was exactly what i wanted to write it just didn't turn out to be what most people wanted to read Mm -hmm. um so you know we got some nice reviews but anyway nothing happened and then suddenly um whenever kitchen confidential comes out in like what 98 or something yeah i think yeah so in it, he in his foreword, he says there are three books that really changed my life and my thinking, and that I feel I must mention here. Uh, oh, wow. In influence, and one was George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London, and one was like a cookbook, like Alice Waters, I was fucking, something, not that, but something, and then one was my book. Uh-huh. So from that moment forward. All I ever got, I would get letters, emails from people because it had gone out of print. So nobody could get a copy. And this was before Kindle or anything. Uh-huh. So, you know, everybody was like, do you have, and I had a big boxes of them, you know, that I bought from the publisher that nobody cared, wanted, you know, I just had it in a closet. So I started just mailing it to people. Uh, uh-huh. It just felt like a nice thing to do. And, and then finally, I was actually starting to get down to not too many left. And then I, I got, um, Right after I got the Kindle singles, I got Simon and Schuster to say they would bring it out in you know, sort of a on, on demand paperback and ebook thing. Wow! And I and I because I said I could get, I thought I could get a blurb from Bourdain. So then I went to his agent and asked if he would give me a blurb, and he gave me a blurb. Amazing thing. And then you know when I got the Kindle singles, he agreed to do this interview, which was this amazing, absolutely incredible lunch at, at some little Austrian burger joint on the Upper East Side. Yeah. Anyway, you know, he was just like 
cool. how did it feel for you as a writer to to write that book and to have it I mean, you know, I don't want to say fail because the it didn't fail. It reached well, no, because it reached the one person. You know, it's just funny what you were saying. Remember a while at the beginning of this whole podcast, uh, it was very much about. Um, it turned out I wrote it for one person, and I didn't right. even know who that turned that would turn out to be somebody so important as Anthony Bourdain, and that it would change my life that he did that. I mean, I didn't change my life. It changed my life, but you know, it, it certainly emotionally was a ver- one of the greatest thrills to have somebody who I admired as much as I admired him to say that. Um, the the difference you know, between the difference between zero and one is the largest yeah, difference in is. the world because it, when the difference between when no one's listening or when one person's listening or one person gets it, that's you know, it's yeah. so massive. I mean, the I. A, a friend of mine, Christy Coulter, who you may know, who I know her. wrote a book at about working at Amazon. Um, she, you know, she was saying, you know, what she posted on Facebook, you know, what advice would you give some to a, a, a new author publishing their first book? And I repeated to her what Bird had told me, which is don't count on this book to change your life. Which mm-hmm. is that's absolutely what I did with my memoir when it came out in hardcover. And the, and it fucking didn't except that, well, Mark Lanigan read a copy and then I went on to do his book with him and then he and I became incredibly close friends. So it did change my life. Well, you know, and that a longer, you know, on a longer curve than I wanted it to. I will just quote the, I mean, is it a proverb or is it just something I heard somebody say once and I'm the only person who knows it? Uh, fame doesn't uh, change who you are; it reveals who you are. Oh man, isn't that a profound statement? I love that. When that's I first, what, whenever yeah. I heard it, I was like, "That's a very..." And you can apply it in other situations too, but um, but it works definitely with fame for sure. Um, and I think that's really true. You know, uh, and this is why a lot of people escape, you know, into drugs and alcohol because they honestly feel they can't cope with. The, they were troubled kids who became hugely successful adults but they were the troubled part of their lives would never repair i mean i'm currently in a state of obsession for a variety of reasons with john lennon's life and he was a perfect example of that very very damaged human being who suffered two major losses in his childhood father and mother both and uh you know it turned out suddenly to be world famous and probably was never built for that really uh you know who is but you know being a beetle is like that's a tall order i i knew adrian grenier a little bit uh before he got famous and i you know we'd heard as a young person living in new york we'd heard all this shit about how fame changes people and he kind of just relaxed he became himself and you know i i think um looking at him and who he's become and in his work that he is a pretty secure person who was brought up in a loving home, you know, and the, you know, and for somebody like, um, you know, for a lot of sort of tortured musicians, I, you know, I think of Kurt Cobain right away, the, that I think fame for him 
made it worse because when he was just a nobody, at least his external experience conformed with his internal experience That's of feeling totally like a right. nobody. And that then when he became famous and people were, you know, Lanigan has a story of like um, the them being in a hotel room and turning on the TV and smells like teen spirit came on and, uh, and Kurt was like, fuck. And threw his shoe at the TV and it hit the knob and turned it off. And at that very moment, when it turned the TV off, they could hear from the street, a car driving by blasting smells like teen spirit. Yeah. And the, and Kurt was just, just felt, you know, trapped and the, you know, this gaping disparity between how he felt about himself and how the world felt about him. Yes. I think that's what we're really going through right now in the culture is an absence of those kinds of moments and cultural experiences that actually cause a large number of people to feel moved or changed. You know what I mean? It's a little, uh, you know, once upon a time it was novels or movies or even TV shows. I don't know. It feels a little disparate right now. Exactly. And I feel a little guilty to be part of it. Not, I didn't do anything wrong, but just audio is yet another exploding. I mean, if anyone's listening to this show, which I hope they are, uh, they are doing that in lieu of watching an episode of Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon Prime or reading the latest, uh, you know, um, Robert Kingsolver novel that's supposed to be so good. Yeah, you know, the, it's like there's really only so much time in the day, and there's so much freaking content. I hate at that word, even, but it's true. Oh, yeah, it's such a such a terrible it is, word. It is. It's just a big, gigantic pile of content. I what I what I tell my students at you know in the in the writing workshop is uh, you can write anything you want in this class. Write screenplay, mm-hmm. poetry. Um, memoir there's only one type of work that you can't write which is content because content mm-hmm. is disposable it's scrolling it just it pops yes. up and then it goes away you know and the but we are people are i mean that's one of the things that we've seen i think in the last well i mean probably in the last 100 years if you look back at it but you know particularly in the last 10 or 15 years with uh the explosion of audible and audiobooks and podcasts and e-readers and kindle and kindle singles and stuff like that is that there's um we've we have these new immediate platforms at you know that just bathe people in constant in streams of content and it's 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 made i think it's made our lives better as consumers but it also it's just a, because it's a nonstop stream. The we're looking for transformation. That's what we want from art. You know the the feeling 100%. of. I I remember being a child and reading uh, My Side of the Mountain and probably no book. You know, reading that and like Where the Red Fern Grows and nothing has probably ever had a bigger effect on my life than those. You know, you know the the first time hearing the Beach Boys or the first time hearing CCR as like a little kid that just where you're yes. like, what the fuck is this? And you, you know, and you know what all those things have in common, um, and this is the same for the things that you make is that they're specific to the creator and only that creator. It's that such 
the one of the most important lessons I ever got was that you know you it is our job as writers, artists, creators, whatever we are, to um, go somewhere where we are the only people who can take somebody there and take them somewhere they've never been before. Mm -hmm. Those are the two tasks of a writer. I mean, in terms of engaging them above and beyond a theme or an idea. You know, you want it to be a journey. It's a trip. Everyone wants to, we all want to go somewhere. Yeah. And uh, that's what, you know, and that's this, and you know, when Stephen King made the leap over to eBooks and that's what brought me over to it actually was when I was announced that he did a short story for like the second generation of Kindle. And my wife said to me, Hey, you should do a magazine for Kindle. I mean, look at the Kindle. They're doing all this stuff. And that's what that idea planted ultimately led to Kindle singles. Um, you know, you. And Stephen King said, it's just a delivery system. It's just, they're yeah. all words. It's words on paper. It's words in audio. It's words on in ink, e-ink, on an e-reader. Who cares? Yeah. You know, whether it's on paper or not. I'll tell delivery you what, system. man. I, I still, I remember it like it happened this morning. I still remember waking up the morning of the Cape Cod Marathon uh, I, I was in New Hampshire. We had this huge snowstorm. The long run had just gone up the day before. And then I woke up, like my alarm went off at four in the morning. So I had to drive down to Cape Cod to, to run this marathon after this huge snowstorm. And I woke up, turned my alarm off, turned my phone on, went immediately to the Amazon Kindle singles page and saw that I had leapfrogged Dean Koontz and Stephen King right. for the number one slot. And it felt like sacrilege <laughs> felt like it was amazing you know people just know what they want it doesn't matter you can do all the marketing in the world i mean we did some marketing but you know at the end of the day it comes down to how good it is people just keep forgetting that at their peril it's the only thing that really matters i you know to, 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 to the quote-unquote customer listener reader whatever you want to call it um, to, to go back to, you know, what we were talking about with the, the sort of ideal reader, I think what one of the things that a reader or a listener or a consumer wants is they want to feel like the writer is speaking directly to them. And, you know, there were so many, so many times in my life as a child reading Stephen King, you know, um, I dealt with night terrors like the whole time I was a kid. Yeah. Still occasionally have really like just out of control nightmares. But um I remember just uh, the way he he spoke about terror, the the way he wrote about terror, just you know, cut me to the core. And mm -hmm. and you know, it, it feels it feels like a, a writer is shining a light on you, you know, or or seeing you. To, to have yeah, totally. It's a really powerful thing. I mean, it's a, it's it's a, another drug. Frankly, I've always believed that narrative is a drug. I mean, Aristotle had that explained in the poetics. I mean, not to get all high toned about it or anything, but that was, it was, it was no, but it was him. I mean, they they knew years ago it was very obvious. If you you know, if your main character wants something and he can't get it, and there's an obstacle to it, then it actually gets the heart beating faster. And you're like, is he going to get the thing that he wants to get? Is or is he going to be thwarted? And you know, if that thing that's thwarting him. Who's that? That's the bad guy, right? Oh, I get it. 
and you know and you start to get the hang of it pretty early on from like the cat in the hat forward <laughs> basically every story is kind yeah. of the same oh, and and uh, and then you just realize it's the true stories the good ones i mean your story was a journey i mean it opened up didn't it on the plane or something or did we change that in the long run you're sitting on the plane getting having your last tie or something Oh, I, I, um, that's a like your last high. No, we, we, uh, that, yeah, that was my, la my last high. No, we changed it because the, you said, and I will always remember this Mishka okay. when you can start a story with a bar fight. Oh, that's right. The, the bar, bar fight. fight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The bar fight. Yeah. Cause then, it, cause that got you running and see, now that's another, I'm, I'm making it all sound like it's, you know, out of some handbook somewhere. It really isn't, but you know, having a character running, it also is one of those sort of, you know, obvious narrative triggers. It causes, you know, somebody wants to get somewhere fast and they, the only way they can do it is on their own two feet. You know, anybody ever see, you know, Marathon Man, that graduate, Dustin Hoffman runs a lot um, in his movies. Um, it's a cool device. People do yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it creates narrative drama because who are you running to? Who? What are you running from? It's you know, a metaphor. The, it it points to there being an obstacle or a bad guy. If you can somehow live a metaphor, you're doing great. You know, you can actually <laughs> get, you turn that into coin. I think. <laughs> yeah. The uh, it's. I mean, w the structure of the long run too. I mean, that's classic Greek structure, right? Of uh, in Medea res, you know, the start in mm -hmm. the middle of action, and then I, you know, sort of cut back and caught everybody up with the, you know, what was yeah. going on. It was it was really good and uh, um, it worked and all all you know, in one form or another all of your uh, your singles uh, your life has managed to evolve in discrete narrative segments. <laughs> At some point, it's, you're going to run out. It's, you're just going to get bored, too boring. Unfortunately, I'll, to be. I'll tell you what. When I was talking to Bird the other day, I pitched him the, um, you know, the story that you and I had been talking about, and right. he, God bless Bird, I, I love him. And one of the things I love about him is that he always gives me the fucking straight dope, you know. And he's my friend, so he said, "I'm really sad you went through this, and um, this yeah, will be very, very compassionate hard to sell, you know." Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, I no, you know, I think that's one of the things that writers struggle with is that when, when we're pitching a story, um, you know, editors or acquisition editors and agents are looking at it as, um, you know, this is one of the seven stories available to people and, or seven well, stories yeah. available to tell. And, and I, I've always pushed back against that, man, because I, I, I think it's fucking bullshit. The, well, and I, it's, I think it's, the answer is specificity. Well, yeah, but it's also, you know, look, the bar has just gone up. There's less money. The people are getting laid off. It's a recession, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. So, you know, it's it's tougher. So there are basically uh, two kinds of books now. You know, the surefire bestsellers, uh, you know, from the top tier authors, and which can include, you know, really A-list quality. You know, I'm not just talking about junk. Um and then you have, you know, the occasional big swing with a new writer, or big high concept idea, or just brilliant writing. Um, but the what used to be called 
when I was writing and trying to sell books, mid-list books um, has gone away. Yep. Which is sort of, you know, we'll pay you a pretty good amount of money to do a pretty good book that everyone will probably kind of like. No. <laughs> it's going to have to either be, you know, like really amazing or have a really, you know, as you said, specific audience. That I think is probably the most valuable. If you can walk in and say, this is for everybody who, like, let's say somehow this show, because I, I think this episode probably will go viral. Just, I don't know. <laughs> I just have a gut sense about that. And when it does, you know, you're going to be suddenly in big demand. Um, so you is, have to contend with that. Is the secret just to cut off the last uh, the last sentence of our conversation? I think so. Whatever it might be, just feel it up. Look at that, and, and uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it's look anything. The, you know what the upside of all this is to me is that now anybody anything goes. You can create anything, and why would it be disqualified? Because there is nobody knows what's working. You just call it a podcast. Call it a this. Call it. It doesn't matter what it's called anymore. Anyway, you can just put it out there. I mean, you got TikTok. Is what is that? Seven seconds of content yeah one of the seconds one of the things about um you know about the conversation with bird and uh, you know trying to sell this book or not and trying to you know um find out find a home for my narrative of uh losing myself in ketamine and then redemption um it's ironic i was cleaning my bathroom before this this is gross but it's all about details and specificity The i was cleaning my bathroom and i found uh syringes that i bought because mm. my sinuses were so fucking ruined from snorting ketamine because it's it's not a powder mm. it's crystals um so it just tears up your sinuses my, my sinuses were so destroyed that i bought the syringes so i could put it up my asshole because that is another way uh. that drug and that was oh, the... really. I, are you bleeping this later for the? <laughs> no. Put a warning, the, everybody. Uh, please the... pa- put a pause on your. Turn the volume down for a moment. Put, putting the bottom in in rock bottom. Ooh. <laughs> oh, terrible! But no, no. I mean, you always like to go there. That's fine. I love that shit. You know, it, it, it is, Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I do. I, I, I say the things that people don't want to think about. No, and that's but... really important, and that's a very valuable skill. Um, and you know, there's a definitely you manage to also capture for some people, you know, a, um, you know. I can't ever think of the Latin expression, whatever it is, where you're the stand-in, you know, for like somebody else's imagined experience of their own life or whatever. You've done some of the things that they might have wanted to do or thought about doing and didn't do. I've recently been looking at, you know, bands and for whatever reason, watched some documentaries and was watching this Daisy Jones and the Six that just went out on Amazon. That's about a Fleetwood Mac style band. Uh-huh. And there's just, I mean, there's so much narrative juice just in that topic. Um, and you've had so much of that. You wrote at least one Kindle single that was solely focused on that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you're still at it. You're still going out there on tour. Well, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to say about this process of pitching a book or not, and like, do I do I follow through on this idea or not, is that... I don't need to sell a book now. 
I can just write the fucking thing and publish it yeah. wherever I want in whatever form Why as, as an audiobook, as a podcast, as, um, as an ebook, I can physically publish it. And if it makes no money, it doesn't matter because yes. what totally you've correct. done for me as an editor and a mentor and an advocate is that you gave me a fucking career, Dave. And that means that I'm free to do a podcast that very few people listen to that makes no well, money. Right. Um, because, because what you yeah. did by going to bat for me was you set me free as an artist. And uh, I know I always belabor you with this every time we have dinner, but I'm going to fucking do it here on the public record is I, I owe you a debt I will never be able to repay. I'm tremendously Well, I don't really look at it that way. I obviously, first of all, benefited. Thank you. Very nice of you to say all that. And that means a lot to me. Uh, I also thought we, you know, it was mutual. I mean, I gained a lot from you and, you know, I obviously you have a lived experience that I have no clue about um you know i grew up in a very different life than you and we intersected and i remember that first dinner and by the way that dinner took place our first dinner took place at anthony bourdain's les al who and he would have been still what do you think no he not sure he would have been the chef there anymore but that was his restaurant but anyway yeah and we had at least two bottles of wine and you got and i you drank most of it <laughs> and, I, and I was already like falling asleep and you were just getting wound up and then you went to the bar and I left. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, um, that, that I mean, in the journey the too. So I'm saying the journey that you went on and it's, I, I mean, I learned a lot. I mean, I genuinely, you know, found it fascinating and um, it was a good measure of whether a story would work uh, was whether it was something I was your customer the person who you wouldn't necessarily think would give a shit about you. Um, I mean, you had your audience, which I'll save, I've saved the embarrassment of mentioning that particular subset of humanity who will buy anything <laughs> of Mr. Shivala. I'll, uh, I'll leave that to you to whether you want that disclosed or not. Yeah. Great little footnotes of your life story. And I've encouraged you to do an entire piece about it and you haven't done it. Um, yeah, you've had so many uh, great ideas for me that I. But Mishka uh, has a very specific fan base uh, that, uh, let's just say, could probably lead to a long series of novels, you know, very entertaining novels. Um, yeah, so you know, I get a lot out of it too. I'm just saying, an editor always does too, you know, because I'm not the, I'm, you know, I'm just the person behind the curtain maybe offering this insight or this suggestion or a title here and there um and it's a fun collaboration and i love that part of it and don't get me wrong i mean i think it's the collaboration that works both ways um and uh you know you have to learn how to do that or you won't get anywhere because there's yeah. probably a lot of writers out there who are just pig-headed assholes who just stuck in about it um and have never and as a result never ended up making it i can think of a few actually that i've worked with yeah i mean I, there was there was a friend of mine there was a friend of mine who i really went to bat for trying to get a kindle single published and then he like pushed back really really hard on taking edits and i was like man yeah. this is you know and that ended up 
and that piece died and that ended up being the beginning of the end of that friendship you know that um you know it's funny some people just aren't built i mean you were uh built to be a writer i mean you had the constitution for it and the emotional intelligence for it and all this stuff uh and you have to i mean i've had some writers who still struggle with some of that but ultimately when they put the ass in the chair and open up the laptop the words come out um i mean some writers just have to go through crazy neurotic processes yeah um, i think you're a little less neurotic though which is fortunate for you um, we'll, see, we'll see if i'm getting better or worse the, I, I you know it's people though who say oh my god i just i just you know land in my chair first thing in the morning a hot cup of coffee open up the laptop eight hours later it's still just laughing myself through the day i'm like oh you know go fuck yourself <laughs> you're not a writer you couldn't possibly be a writer that's just what you described doesn't exist in the known universe of real writers you're producing garbage without a doubt <laughs> yeah if it, it man if you're not suffering it's not real i mean there's it really there's it's, nothing there's nothing more terrifying it, to me than turning on the computer and looking you know, at a blank page um it, i am fond of saying you know in so many different instances but it really applies here is you know if it wasn't hard if if it wasn't hard everyone would be doing it yeah it, it's hard yeah this shit is hard it Literally, is. if it wasn't hard, we'd have three billion writers in the world. It would be horrifying. Um, God forbid that. So the good news is, and I, you know, it's sort of the good news is the bad news. I often, you and I both lived through what was being called the long form revolution. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was a brief period of time when long form, and you were the beneficiary of it because you were publishing long form journalism at the moment when this was being celebrated, and you got caught up in some of that. I mean, and the, uh, you know, we ended up on the front page of the New York Times, remember, and, you know, in other instances beyond your stories. Um, anyway, so, um, um, but that revolution, um, the problem with the concept of that revolution was that I kept saying to people, there's no increase in the number of talented people in the world. I'm sorry, it just didn't happen. There wasn't some sudden weird genetic quirk where suddenly there were like 10% more talented people. So the same number of good articles were going to get published, no matter how many articles total got published. So if you want to, like I'm saying, if you want to increase the number of bad long form journalism, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> That's yeah. what's going to happen. And that is what happened. It drives me nuts because the, you know, I mean, this ketamine story, it, maybe it's not a book, but it's, it's, it's perfectly, it's a, a perfect Kindle single length, you know, um, um two, two questions I want to, um, I want to cover before we get out of here. The first is, um, the transition from writer to editor. Was that difficult for you? Was that emotionally difficult? Was that, did you have a hard time sort of making that leap? The, um, I, I love, uh, I love teaching. I love helping other people. It was an incredible pleasure to, to help Sam talent, um, sort of get the word out about his book and to see, um, you know, to see him blow up. Um, but also I, I feel some jealousy as a writer, you know, I want people to be giving my shit five stars and, and buying my stuff, you know, the, so what was Wait, which, it? Book, which is that? Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm... Sam talent, uh, running the light. 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, for me, it was, you know, um, quick, uh, relatively. I always had had, um, I, 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 this is why I was reluctant to do the podcast. Apologies to everybody. I'm really bad at like, you know, I, if I say anything about myself, it sounds self-congratulatory. I feel bad and guilty. I, but then I think, no, I should feel better about myself. I did these things. I can talk. And now I've already, I've just now gone down this rabbit hole and I can't remember what I was making reference to. Oh, the transition to editing. Oh, I was having a lot of ideas. So I had a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. And and there is a theory uh, held by a lot of journalism professors that ideas are the coin of the realm in the journalist profession. So, you know, if you had a lot of them, that meant you had more coins. Uh, so I always had more ideas than I knew what to do with. And then so when I became an editor, I suddenly found out, oh, I see. So, you know, and you know this, Mishka, that I had a toyed with a book that I was going to write about the long run that didn't end up happening. And I had that title on my list of just titles. It was strictly related to running marathons. I didn't have the alcoholism piece. And I thought of it for you, and it just made so much more sense. So that was one of the first moments where I thought, oh, I see how this works. I've got these ideas that I never really was the right person to do. And now mm -hmm. I go out and I find the right person to do it, and I give them the idea, and then they write it, and it becomes their story. Yeah. And that was, like, really, you know, fun for me. Um, you know, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of uh, gifted uh, writers who have had fascinating, interesting life experiences, personal ones that they've written about. Um, I don't think, you know, or let me rephrase that. I'm sure that the long run wouldn't have happened without you forcing me to do it and um, giving me that title. You know, that was, it was a huge yeah. catalyst. Well, you know, like you, you, you had the experience. So, you know, I just was imagining, um, but some of that's also maybe helpful because you get to the benefit of knowing what people's imaginary view of, you know, being an alcoholic is versus the reality. Although that's why, you know, as an outsider, to me, a bar fight seemed like a cool thing because as an outsider who doesn't drink, when people are in bar fights, that always seems to me to be like indicative of what's wrong with drinking because <laughs> it gets you into bar fights. Yeah. Uh, and I just knew that I did not want to be in a bar fight. <laughs> um, and, uh, therefore I would probably be moderate in my yeah. alcohol. Um, yeah, the, and, the, uh, the last physical fight I engaged in was getting my fucking socks on this morning. <laughs> yeah. That's his hard shit now. I mean, now, yeah, just getting through the day is like a battle that we win every day. It's, uh, you know, touching your toes, doing all the, yeah. the physical exercise, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, it was fun. It was a fun transition. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. I mean, it also encompassed then uh, managing people and mm -hmm. being bo a boss and, you know, at certain unfortunate moments, but, uh, you know, having to do things that people, your employees didn't want you to be doing, you know, those kinds of things that you had to do as a manager. Very difficult. But, but you still got to write some incredible pieces too. I mean, the Kindle single with uh, Bourdain, the interview with Obama. Well, yeah, the interviews. We were lucky to. We started this thing. I was always interested in interviews from like, you know, the Playboy interview when I was a kid, and that was my mm -hmm. model. And yeah, so we started the Kindle singles interview, and yeah, and I got was super lucky. I got to do yeah. I mean, I, I'm not. My kids really don't even allow me to mention it anymore. But the board, the uh, Obama 
I mean, I have to say, you know, I did get to meet, you know, when I look back on these last 12 years and getting to meet actually two, because I spent time with Biden too. He wasn't president at the time, but still, mm -hmm. so, uh, but, but I got to spend uh, 37 minutes with Barack Obama. Are you going to hit him up to, uh, to write the foreword for your book? We, Barry and I are so close. I can't even tell you. We are he, just. He won't stop texting you. Uh, we're, we're going out. He wants to have a cigarette later. You know, he still <laughs> goes out. That's what you run into him on the corner because he's still out there sneaking those little, yeah, you know, yeah, vaping. Buying Lucy's at the corner. He kept he, reading all those articles while he was president about vaping. He's like, man, the minute I get out of this White House, I'm getting myself <laughs> a best fucking vape. Yeah, ever was created <laughs> michelle <Yep>. will never know <laughs> so um my last question is what's next for you that um i mean personally and professionally you're leaving a, a gaping hole in my life by leaving audible I don't, well I, my main concern i don't know what know, i'll do the look mostly i'm focused on figuring out how to you know make sure that all the people that uh, are annoyed at me for quitting uh, or leaving or changing my life in any way is affecting them. So obviously I'm going to work on trying to fix their situation because that's most important. Mine, you know, I'll get around to it. Um, I'm not, I, no, I, I'm still figuring it out. You know, I want to be, um, you know, engage the creative side of my brain more. You know, sometimes oh. editing is just involves logistics and management of things and management of people even. So, you know, I, I, it's just nice to be on my own for a little bit and clear out the cobwebs and re-engage those muscles. Um, Cause they don't really work if you don't use them as, you know, writing is one of those things. If you stop doing it, there is, I've never been one of those morning pages people. That seems weird, but, or, or I've never even been a journaler, but, um, I like being paid, frankly, for writing. And, I, and honestly, that's been a big part of my whole approach to the business of what I do. I've always liked, I mean, that was one of the things I really dug about Kindle Singles was you had to buy them, you know, whether they were not free. Yeah. And a lot of the long form shit that was being put out was just websites and whatnot. Yeah. Now, come on, let's make people pay for this stuff. This is good. You're going, it's, this guy, Mishka, you lived this horrifying experience. The least he should do is get your buck 99. Um, I this is the other thing too, is that without so cheap, without that deadline and without the paycheck, I don't know that I would have written anything, you know, and that's, uh, and that's another thing that I, you know, we all struggle with imposter syndrome at different turns. And yeah. I, I feel in some ways that I, I'm not a real writer because I didn't just sort of sit down and write a book. I'm, I'm like a chore monkey. Like I, I needed somebody to provide me with a job list. And like, after you're done with this, then you, then you get your allowance, you know? And, yeah. um, and I, so I really, I wonder if any of, you know, the stuff would have happened if it wasn't for, uh, a deadline looming over me, um, you know, a reader waiting to read it and waiting to, to work on it and mm -hmm. pick it apart and then a paycheck at the end of it. Yeah. A paycheck is really crucial. I mean, you know, if you, uh, I actually just only learned this recently. I saw some agent talking about how you decide who you pick as a client. And this woman was saying, you know, I, I try to look at the client and say, is this somebody who can make a full time living? as a writer. 
Mm-hmm. And if if you can't imagine them making a full time ongoing paycheck from writing, then you shouldn't represent them. Wow. I mean, that's smart because why should you? It shouldn't be on you that somebody can't pay their rent. You know, you you don't want that burden. You want somebody who you really believe can make money. Yeah, or you shouldn't yeah. take them on. You should, and then your job is to commit to making that a reality. That becomes your job, the agent's job. Yeah, I mean, um, but anyway, I thought that was, but that's a whole other subject we could talk for days about. But um, you know, but the truth is, it does come down to us to be good enough to do this. And you know, look, I love the. I, I don't know is the right word meritocracy, but I do think the fact is that you know the best and the most talented and the the people who. Uh, do this better than anyone else tend to be the most successful i mean it's the way it should be Uh, it's nice when that gets rewarded and it's fun to see shows like you know severance or whatever things that just sort of pop out or um i was just remembering it from last year there was a movie called zola from the summer of i think 2021 it was just this incredible coleman domingo incredible movie you know just every so often you see something it's like this isn't like anything i've ever seen before there's a completely new way of telling a story, and it really is cool. Like, that's the kind of shit that I really would love to do and mm-hmm. be responsible for. So I'll end on that. Yes, I want to do stuff like that. Stuff that, that people go, wow, I, I hadn't thought of doing it that way. Whatever I, that is, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, just just something like a glass of ice water in your face, something that's like... Just yeah, like, I mean, Kendall Singles was sort of that, you know, people yeah. were kind of like, oh, okay, right, between magazine and book, all right, I guess I get that, you know, I don't know, it sounded good. <laughs> I, I mean, it it, it, it was... It 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 was both uh recherche and looking for you know and looking forward you know because the, I, I do think that you're sort of you know pulling on when the new yorker would run serial you know pieces stretched over three issues or something um but also to have to you know to have the vision of somebody who's traveling they're about to get on a a three-hour flight and they don't have anything to read that they right. have their, their kindle and then they can buy a thing for less than a, the cost of a slice of pizza right less That's than right. the cost of a, ri- a subway ride um yeah that then they can consume on the flight and, and, that's right and they can be reading you know the end and you got the, your begin- the yes end. the beginning middle and that was why i was always so insistent on beginning middle end yeah you know because a lot of people especially like in the true crime space you know they would end their pitches and go and we don't know what happened you know it could be anybody's like that's not good enough you know we want people to when they finish reading the story they know who did it yeah to have some closure and why you know and it's hard a lot of people struggle with that but but you know and it wasn't easy again another one of those things that like if it was easy everyone would be doing it um and everyone would be in it and that was the whole joy of kindle singles was that it was a small number of people um getting to do it um including you fortunately and me Yeah. yeah so that was fun um well it was fun to reminisce and uh reflect on our uh collaboration which i hope will continue it's been uh very successful yeah i, I yeah i would love it if we did something down the line and, and uh make and maybe, some maybe... money so you can clean that room jesus christ whenever i do whenever i do a podcast i look at the the, the video recording of my disgusting room and i'm like fuck's sake man, man. get it together jesus christ he uh, needs the man needs boxes if any of you listening can, can send him crates or storage 
Or a GoFundMe for a storage unit. Go clean me. The uh, I I, well, I, I fuck me. <laughs> I will. Well, that's I, actually a funny. The go fuck me. That's the porn version of GoFundMe. The maybe that will be the um that'll be the next Kindle. That's similar, a, it's right? a business it's model. Go like you you just sign in and you pay your money in advance <laughs> and then the right. um internet glory hole. The uh, yes. Um, well, I I will I will say that. Like I came back from tour January 18th and it's whatever, March 8th. And I, I sort of wrapped projects in, you know, in January and haven't started a new one yet. And it's been so fucking nice just to, to do things around the house that like, I've been meaning to change that light bulb or I've been meaning to fix the molding yeah, on gratifying. the window, you know? So I hope that you get an opportunity to do, don't, don't go fucking grow an Al Gore beard The but do oh, take, no, you take like the victory lap of like I'm, just waking up at the same time you did for your normal job and then doing all the shit, little shit during the day that you wanted to do. Um, that's the only way to approach it you have to uh uh fake it you make it is the expression i believe um like i i I mean i'm just saying the allow yourself um oh so that's not the expression yeah no (laughs) the i'm i'm saying it is allow yourself uh you know get uh get coffee and dessert at this at this point you know because like you've been working your ass off for a long time and then when you are ready for your uh for your next creative endeavor um i look forward to listening to your podcast oh my god there will be no podcast i guarantee (laughs) that was the one i am announcing here today that there will be no podcast in my future and just by saying that that's the that is the fastest and easiest that's the cut to that's what my wife uh, is a television writer would call a cut to mom and she just walked into the room so i hope it isn't but you might be right all right i'll talk to you soon take care dave thank you bye Bye. folks thank you so much for listening i know there's uh a million podcasts out there we appreciate you uh you spending your time with us the um if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if you if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes, song demos, just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations, all sorts of different uh, bonus material, writing advice, uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. Uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and I answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, thank you so much for supporting. 